Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you will take out your pew Bible or the Bible you brought with you or open your Bible app and join with me in John's Gospel in the 21st chapter. We're reading today from John 21, verses 1 through 19. Hear me now the words of the Lord. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out, got into the boat, and but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? And they answered him, no. And he said, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far off land, only about a hundred yards. And when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with a fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you not love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. The second time he had said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And the third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And after this, Jesus said to him, follow me. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me?
Holy Lord, we gather again in this place during this holy hour to hear your word read and proclaimed. Speak to us, O Lord, this day that our ears might clearly hear who you would have us be and what you would have us do so that we would leave this place not as just hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Now we're in the spring of the year. You know, it's that time of new beginnings. We see the trees become alive with new color, flowers blooming, plants blooding. We see baby birds being born. There's warm sunshine. They've started baseball back up again. I mean, what's not to love, right? All the world is reborn after a long, dark, gloomy winter. But the springtime of the year is also a time when some chapters close and new ones begin. And maybe those chapters are punctuated by this question. Now what? I mean, think about it with me. I mean, you know, sometimes in spring, there are a lot of weddings. I mean, May is the most popular month for weddings. And so uh, years have gone by or months have gone in planning this wedding. And finally, the day comes for the celebration. And so you have the ceremony in the church and then there's the reception and then there's the honeymoon. And then finally, on the Monday after the honeymoon is over, the couple wakes up and looks at each other and goes, huh, now what? You know what I'm talking about. Or maybe there's confirmation, we'll celebrate that in a couple of weeks, where our confirmands come in front of this congregation and they profess their faith. And at the end of the service, there's this sort of lingering question, now what? Or the college graduates that walk across the stage, flip the tassel, grab their diploma, and then later that afternoon pack up their dorm rooms and their apartments, realizing that the real world is lurking just beyond the campus. What now? Or maybe it's the last child that graduates high school and the nest is empty and you deliver them to college and you come home and you wonder, now what? For some of you, you will punch the clock for the last time. They will hand you a gold watch and you will go home and every day after that will be Saturday, except for Sunday. Sunday is still Sunday and you need to be here. But you're retired. Every day, almost every day, is Saturday. Now what? In a very similar way, this major chapter change, we're truly unsure of what is next. Church consultant uh, Susan Beaumont, a friend of mine, she, she writes this book and she talks about this as a liminal season where we're sort of betwixt and between what has been and what will be. That unknown season about what's next. In a lot of ways, that's exactly where we define the disciples today. I mean, after following and learning from Jesus for three years, they observed that triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. They saw the cruelty of the crucifixion and the joy of the resurrection, the two appearances already, but they're wondering, what now? What do we do with it all? And they may have asked themselves, what's next? But not knowing a clear answer, they did the only thing they knew to do. They went back to life as it was before the encounter with Jesus. They went fishing. I mean, they were commercial fishermen, so they went, at the end of the day, if they weren't sure what was next, that's what they knew to do. And that's where our story picks up today. So on this third appearance, Jesus finds them out on the water, out fishing, 
and he realizes that he needs to pull them back in. There's still more work to be done for the kingdom. Jesus knows this. The disciples might even know this subliminally, but they don't know how to get there. So this third appearance to the disciples has a specific purpose. He stands on the shore calling to them so that he can recover them, if you will, for the mission that he had in mind. To recall them for their commitment, their commissioning for the work of the kingdom. And then to reconcile themselves to him. And as we begin to think about our own faith and our own experience of Easter, and maybe even what it means for us, we might even be pondered to say, well, Easter Sunday was glorious, but what next? The tomb was empty, what's it for me? As we think about this third appearance of Jesus with the disciples, we begin to realize that Jesus is calling to us as well. Recovering us for the kingdom. Recalling us for the mission of the kingdom. And reconciling ourselves to him for when we fall short. This idea of recovery, what comes to mind is like if, if you ever do anything with youth, you take them on a trip, a large group of people, whether it's youth or adults or children, the what's the one thing you want to do? If you take 15 people out, you want to bring back how many people? 15, exactly. They don't even have to be the same 15. You maybe want to trade up for somebody, but you bring back 15, right? So a friend of mine tells me this story. He says, Glenn, worst day ever in ministry. I said, okay, uh, I'll bite. What was it? He goes, I took the middle schoolers to the minor league baseball game two towns over. I said, what's not to like about minor league baseball? It's great, right? He goes, yeah, so we had a great time at the ball game. I told everybody to meet at this certain gate at a certain time, and we met there, and I'm counting heads, and I'm one short. And I told them to stay together in groups of two or more. How can I be one short? I wanted to say, well, it's middle schoolers, but I decided to leave that alone. And he said, he said I started asking kids, have you seen this kid? Have you seen this? They said, oh, yeah, we think he went to the souvenir stand. He had a few more bucks left to spend. Those of you that ever sent your kid on a trip with cash, you know what that means. You never get it all back, do you? Any of it, sometimes. So he said, y'all stay right here. I'll go to the souvenir stand and get him. Y'all stay right here. Don't move. So he goes over and he gets the one kid that had wandered off and he comes back and he counts heads again. And guess what? He's short one kid. Somehow or other, the kid didn't hear the words, y'all stay right here, and went wandered off on his own. Now, to make matters worse, he got turned around and couldn't remember where he was supposed to be. So now he thinks he's gotten left. And he calls his mom. They left me at the ballpark. Who immediately calls the youth minister to find out where he is. And about 30 minutes later, they all got together. They finally found each other, and everyone got home safely. A little bit later, but safely. But as I remember this story and thinking about disciples, I mean, we do that sometimes, don't we? We sometimes wander away from what we know what is happening. I mean, the disciples were no different. I mean, they'd been listening to Jesus' teachings, despite the teachings, despite the resurrection, despite the commissioning post-resurrection where he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Despite that, they didn't fully grasp their calling. They didn't realize that when they, when they started to follow Jesus three years ago, that it was a lifelong commitment. And so they wandered away. They wandered off. And so Jesus appears to them 
to bring them back. To say, remember, I called you for this. And if we're honest, we're really no different than the disciples, are we? I mean, how often have we had some mountaintop, life-altering experience or maybe we don't remember how it happened so some time ago. Or maybe we remember when the resurrection finally anchored home that Jesus died on the cross for us. But how much time goes by, we sort of forget that experience and it begins to tarnish and to fade. Or maybe even despite that, we face the temptations of the world to just to go back to life as we knew it before we had that encounter with God. And so that's why we tell the story over and over, year after year. I mean, we know the story in broad brushstrokes, but it's when we really get down into it. It's when we pay attention in worship to what is being preached and to what we sing and to the story that's told through the Bible. That's what we talk about between Advent and Pentecost, the story of Jesus' calling and ministry and his purpose for our lives. And then from Pentecost until Advent again, how the church lives into it. We do that to reinforce our calling, to remember who we are and whose we are. Sure, we know the story, but maybe some of us are hearing it for the first time, or maybe we're hearing it with new ears ourselves. But it's when we remember that we begin to hear Jesus calling to us across the ages, calling to us from the shore, recovering us and reminding us that we are his disciples, his followers, his blessed children. But then also look at what happens when Jesus is doing that. Not only does he recover the disciples, not only does he bring them into it, but then he reminds them that they have a calling, that they have a specific purpose. And so what Jesus does, he says to them, have you caught any fish tonight? And they said, no, we didn't catch anything. And he repeats a miracle that he did when he first called them. So we look at when he first called them. Jesus goes along the shore and he sees these fishermen out there and they've had a horrible night of it. They don't catch anything. And he says, hey, did you catch anything? And they said, no, we didn't. You know, if you've been to the beach and you walk along a fishing pier, the polite thing to do when you see fishermen is, did you catch anything? Or if you see someone coming out of a trout stream with waders, did you catch anything? And they'll either tell you really quick whether it was a good day or not, if you're, that their body language didn't, but they will tell you this. So Jesus does the same thing at the first of their calling. And he says, I'll tell you what, if you'll throw the, note over, the, the net over the other side of the boat and pull it in, you'll catch fish. Now they must have humored him the first time. I mean, these are commercial fishermen. Here's some guy on the shore that they've never met before telling them, I know you didn't catch anything all night, but trust me, just throw it over. So they thought, why not? What could it hurt? And you remember the surprise, they caught so many fish they couldn't even bring it back in the boat. They'd caught the catch of a lifetime. They had set the market and then Jesus said to them, come, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so despite the fact they've had the most successful day ever fishing, they left their nets and the fish got out of the boat and three years later, they find themselves where? Back in the boat having caught nothing. And Jesus says to them, throw your nets over the side. And when they do, the nets are full, like they've never been full before, but they don't burst, they, they're so full. There's a, matter of fact, John is really specific, about 153 of the largest fish ever. And they catch this, and all of a sudden they begin to realize that Jesus has called them 
to be fishers of men. And he meant it. It wasn't sort of like, yeah, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He meant you will be, you are, that's your destiny. Folks, when we took the pledge, when we said that we follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we were disciples, we too were being called. We're being called to learn to live and to love like Jesus. We're being called to let people know that God loves them and so do we. We're being called to love people on behalf of Jesus in the hopes of loving them to Jesus. We're being called for that. Just as the disciples were called that. So Jesus is reminding them, he's recalling them to their mission, to their purpose. And so we start to get around this, we begin to realize the disciples, they have to live into this. And so as we follow, if we were to fast forward all the way to Pentecost, which is still a couple of weeks off, if we fast forward that, we see what happened. The disciples, the light bell went off that day, or the light bulb went off that day when they tried to pull the fish in. They realized they were talking to the Lord who was retooling them for mission. And they started the early church. We inherited that legacy. And so when we live our lives simply as disciples, following the way he taught us to, if we do take it seriously, then our nets too will be full, that we will fill it up such that there's no more that the nets will hold, but they won't burst either. So Jesus has done this with the disciples. He's recovered them. He's recalled them. But there's a little bit more work to do. Now, if we're honest with ourselves as we're thinking about this and thinking about disciples, we think we couldn't be like them. I mean, we're not perfect. I mean, we don't always act outwardly. We don't always think about others first. A lot of times we're a little selfish. We think about ourselves. We might even use a lot of I and my statements. Sometimes we might even forget that we are Christ's disciples. We might even forget our calling to imitate the one who loves us most. But guess what? Look what Jesus does with Peter next. There's grace and hope for us. Because remember, Peter the rock, Peter the one who always had all the right answers, Peter the one who was the most zealous, the one that Jesus said, I will build the church upon you. Peter was also the one that said on that night in the upper room, I'll not deny you three times. There's no way that's going to happen. And then out of fear, out of self-preservation, out of weakness, what did he do? He did just that. He denied knowing Christ, denied being part of the disciples. He denied being a follower of the Lord. We do that too sometimes, don't we? But look what Jesus does in this exchange. He pulls Peter aside and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord. He says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. It's in that moment that every time he asks that question, every time Peter says yes, he's forgiving him for each of those times that he's denied him. It's symbolic that he forgives him. It's symbolic for us that we are forgiven. But notice what the charge is each time. Each time that Peter says yes, he says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, he charges him that as a disciple to go into the world and take care of God's children. So as we remember that we too are disciples, that we are called to be fishers of people, that we are called to serve, that means that we are also to tend to God's sheep. 
But I love how Jesus ends this whole exchange with the very same words that the calling of the disciples began with. Follow me. It's that simple. He reminded them that they were called. He reminded them what they were called to do. He reminded them that they were forgiven, that grace abounds to us and to the world. And even of our weakest moments, that if we will just acknowledge that we've fallen short, that grace is there for us. But we are called to follow. So the message, the good news for us today is this. That grace abounds to us always, to each of us gathered here in worship, whether in the room or online or worshiping earlier today, that we, grace abounds to us. That even when we forget that we were called to be a disciple, that grace abounds to us. That even when we forget that our calling is to reach out to the world in love, in grace, in hope, that grace abounds to us. That no matter what, The message of the Easter season is this, that Christ recovers, recalls, and reconciles the world to himself. So we think that Easter has come, and we're tempted to say, great, we've had Easter, what's next? The what's next is this. There is a mission out there for you and for me that we are called to be followers of the risen Christ, that we are called to go into the world to follow him with all of our hearts, with all our might, all our energy, to show the world that as for we and our household, we will serve the Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings.